Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Clagett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Jason Kong here with the lovely Nicole Cleggett. Nicole, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing pretty well. I have zucchini coming out of my ears in my garden. You do. You brought me some here I in the did. studio. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to be grilling this up, maybe do some kebabs on Ooh, Sunday. That sounds I, good. Now, this has been my motivation. Nicole, so thank you. <laughs> and you know, we just came off of that really big caregiver summit we held in RTP and that was fabulous. Um, uh, one of our guests was here there actually and um, we had record attendance, Jason. That's fantastic, so, Nicole. Congratulations. Uh, yes, we had 325 attendees at the Sheraton Imperial. Well, so Thank you to everyone who attended. I know uh, a lot of folks who listened to the program were out there, and that just means so much to us. And, uh, you know, I... I think our listeners really do a good job and a great service sort of spreading the word because once you attend these things, you realize how great they are. Yeah, so we are, we are super, super excited that that event went so well and looking forward to the next one, but I, I, I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Yeah, let's, let's give Nicole <laughs> I, I need a little a bit of a room. break. Yeah, yeah I, I think you need a little bit of a break. Well, Nicole, we're going to start out the show talking about an interesting topic. And, you know, this is relevant to me just walking around the building here because I I seem to encounter a lot of people in this industry who suffer from hearing loss, and I'm sure a lot of listeners at home might be able to relate to that, whether it's a family member or even themselves. And to uh, speak on that, we've brought in Kim Calabretta. She's a customer relations manager with CapTel. Kim, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So super glad to have you here. And, you know, I think hearing loss is one of those deficits, sensory deficits that people overlook or make assumptions about. I think a lot of times people just assume just because that person is getting older, it's just normal for them not to be able to hear as well. And I think you're here to beg to differ, aren't you? Yes, that's correct. Um, I have hearing loss myself. And for me, I understand the difficulties of what it is to communicate with people and feel isolated. Hearing loss when it comes to seniors, one out of three people over the age 65 have some type of hearing loss. That can range from mild to profound. And as they get older, it's sometimes a natural part of the aging process. But I'm here to explain a bit more about it and to ensure people it doesn't mean that you have to be isolated and there are so many different avenues, paths for accommodations that are provided now for people with hearing loss. You know, one of the things about hearing loss is, is the isolation, and it's truly a huge issue. Um, you know, I find, I remember my grandmother and my grandfather, their dynamic, and my grandfather went at a young age. He had some sort of, um, kind of back before they really used antibiotics really well, major ear infections, which ultimately resulted in some very severe and profound hearing loss. And without his two hearing aids, he couldn't hear a thing. But then as he got older, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I just remember at times, you know, the TV volume being at max and my grandmother screaming at him over it. And then at some point she just would get frustrated and walk away or just not even bother tell him the thing she was going to say, which really left him in the dark about what was going on in the family unit. Yes. 
That is true. It's very frustrating because it's easy for people one-on-one to communicate, look at a person, read their lips, try to maximize the sound and block out the background noise. But the more people that are in the circle and then more voices that keep talking, background noise, it becomes very difficult for a person with hearing loss to be able to fully understand. And it's true for people when they're in a setting for holidays, Mm -hmm. at the dinner table, when you're in a restaurant, when you're outside, and you're competing with so many different sounds. Mm -hmm. I tell people when they wear hearing aids, it's a wonderful tool to assist with the communication, but there are people who assume hearing aids will bring back the hearing again. Hearing aids do bring back sound, but it doesn't make you a hearing person. Um, I have a cochlear implant. That's like an enhanced hearing aid and requires surgery. I love it. But I always tell people I still am a person with the hearing loss, and I use different methods and tools, accommodations to assist with communication depending on what my situation is. You know, one of the things that uh, that's interesting that we do at the Caregiver Summits is we have a, a lot of sort of empathy type training. And, and one such training is a virtual dementia tour. And in that, um, folks put on special uh, sort of headsets that mimic what hearing loss is like. And I think one of the, that's one of the biggest things that people walk away with is not being able to differentiate the background noise from what the person that is trying to say in front of them. And uh, ironically, the day before the caregiver summit, I don't know what in the world happened to me, but both of my ears were like completely plugged for like that entire day before the summit. And I found myself like yelling at people so much loud. And I, I know I, I'm kind of loud, but I was yelling at some of my committee <laughs> members and I'm like, I am so sorry. I know I'm yelling. I can't hear a thing today and I don't know what's going on. It better be better by tomorrow. Luckily, I woke up and it was fine. Must have been some of the pollen in the air or something. But um, I mean, it really... It's very profound to go through something like that. Yes. And when people have a hearing loss, because they can't hear themselves, they have a tendency to talk much louder. (laughs) So it's very common. And there are some people who talk a lot softer, and it's just they can't modulate their voice only because they can't hear themselves. And then I think the other piece that happens to folks who are experiencing hearing loss is part of it is the frustration of the interpersonal dynamics. So then when that other person has to keep repeating themselves, then their tone changes. Because if you feel like you have to increase your volume for someone to someone, then it might look like you're yelling at them and the body language changes and it, it really creates a huge issue. That is correct. And what I tell people we have is called Hearing Loss Association of America. And we have different support chapters throughout the United States. I'm part of the Hearing Loss Association of America Wake chapter. And what they do is every month they provide different resources and talks about hearing loss. One of the things they did, which was very critical to help understand when you're, how you have a loved one who has a hearing loss, how best to communicate with them. Oftentimes they think if they just shout, it's going to be enough. And it's not true. And Sometimes I it's their pitch of your voice, isn't it? Bringing your pitch up or down? Right. It's more clarity versus volume. Try not to get too technical, but when you have what's called a conductive hearing loss, that's the middle ear hearing loss, and it's often assisted by sometimes surgery or hearing aid. But if you have inner ear hearing loss, that's called sensory neural hearing loss, 
then that means it's nerve damage and speech discrimination is extremely poor. That's what I have. Mm. So you can scream all you want and it doesn't mean I'm going to understand you. So it's an issue of volume versus clarity. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes with conductive hearing loss, they need clarity. For sensory neural hearing loss, oftentimes they need um, speech understanding, mm-hmm. more, um, not just volume, but clarity as well. Annunciation about, more. That's what? Annunciation, perhaps. Annunciation. Um, repeat what you say. Don't yell. Um, also, I tell people, don't get too close to the person. I get people, when I tell them I have a hearing loss, they get very close to me. <laughs> and it's okay, I can't read their lips, so they have to, you know, just stay at the normal pace, distance. And when you talk to me, you don't have to move your mouth that much. I think people feel very self-conscious. They have to hurry up and move their mouth a lot more. And I tell people they look like, you know, Nemo from Finding Nemo. (laughs) They look like a fish, so it's kind of hard to lip read from that. And um, I sometimes tell people, too, to switch the word a bit, like change the sentence. It may be a word or two that I can't catch. So if you change the sentence, it makes it a bit easier. And if worse comes to worse, you can always write down what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. There's just different tools and methods to communicating and I don't want the person who is hearing to get nervous about the ability of not being able to communicate with somebody with the hearing loss. So let's talk a little bit about CapTel. So you represent a company that uh, specifically specializes in working with people that have a hearing loss. That's correct. And I use it myself. And basically what CapTel does is called Caption Telephone, abbreviated for CapTel. And what it does is it allows a person with a hearing loss to communicate with others on the phone and hear them. And at the same time, they can read everything that's being said with a small screen that's attached to the phone. So when you're calling me, you talk to me, I'll hear your voice. And at the same time, your words scroll across the screen, very much like caption TV, Mm -hmm. the same concept, but with the telephone. Better than Siri. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So folks want more information about CapTel. How would they go about doing that? Okay, that's a good question. The State Division of Services for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing provides the service and the phone at no cost for people who qualify. And what we do is, in order to qualify, you have to meet a state worker, a one-on-one meeting with the state worker to make sure that they qualify. They have to be a resident of North Carolina, fill out a disability determination form to ensure that, yes, the person has a hearing loss and we're providing the phone to the right person. And you have to meet the financial criteria. And what that is, is a 250% over the federal poverty guidelines. So if one person in the household has to earn $31,225 and they would qualify for getting a free phone from the state, oftentimes if they're on Social Security, they would qualify. Great. That's great to know. Thank you so much. Kim Calabretta, Customer Relations Manager with CapTel of North Carolina. We appreciate you coming in this evening. Thank you so much for having me. I like having like being here. It's so much fun. We appreciate it. Great. That website, captelnc.com. Captelnc.com. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters. 
care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, you know, we often talk about the importance of legal documents when it comes to care and caregiving. And we're going to dive into that world a little bit further. And to help us out, we've got a special guest here in the studio, and that is Adam Hopler. He's an attorney with Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah. Adam, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Yeah, pleasure being here. So um, I'm super excited about you being here, and but I, I do believe that you said you had something you wanted to share about our previous guest related to hearing. Oh, well, I just uh, I really appreciated listening to Kim and uh, the services she's providing. Uh, I myself have hearing loss, and uh, it's hereditary. A number of our family members have it, and so it's a very common, uh, much of what she discussed. I very much sympathize and understand that the difficulty that can come about that, um, even just to the extent of realizing how much I rely on uh, context cues from other mm-hmm. people, lip reading, things of that nature. Uh, so certainly the services that she's providing are a great assistance to uh, uh, folk of all ages, really, um, who may have that issue. So you don't appreciate the Finding Nemo lips either. <laughs> <laughs> that was very cute. Now I'm going to forever picture that when I see people doing it. So, um, you know, one of the big issues that we talk about on the show a lot, though, is the importance of picking the right person to be involved with your advanced care planning. And yeah. so whether that's with trust, power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, guardianship, a lot of times family members often pick who they feel they have to pick mm. because they're worried about hurting relationships. You know, they make the assumption, well, I'm married, so my wife should be my healthcare power of attorney. When the reality of it is, maybe the wife wouldn't be the person that could be strong enough to follow through on the decisions that you wish for yourself. So love for you to kind of hit on some of those high points for us. Yeah, sure. Uh, anytime somebody's coming into my office, uh, you know, just as a base minimum, we have to talk about confidentiality Mm -hmm. um, and uh, try and assure folk to understand that anything that they're talking to an attorney about is held confidential, even if they decide they're not going to use that attorney going further. Um, And that's not only important just from the standpoint of of protecting their information, but to really help open the conversation. Uh, Because a lot of what you just described there comes down to very intimate questions about relationships that we have with Mm -hmm. those who are very close to us. Um, And it can be helpful to just speak those things out loud in a safe context, almost like you would do, and we are attorneys and counselors at law, but like you would do with a, a therapist almost. Um, because the attorney is better able to walk you through the scenarios of what can happen um, depending on the person that you pick and the level of trust that you actually have with them as opposed to what you wish you had with them. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I've seen this all too often where uh, family members do pick the person that it was just a natural fit. And then when push comes to shove, you know, financial power of attorney, they may not be the most organized person with their own finances. And then they have, you know, the eldest child doing this and it turns Mm -hmm. out to be a big debacle. Right, right. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it becomes important really for an individual, um, and sometimes they're able to do homework before they come into the office, but many times I'm uh, providing basic education just about what these, what these documents really are mm-hmm. um, and uh, how they can assist you in the future. 
Uh, much of estate planning has very little to do with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to be frank, uh, you will not either be with us <laughs> or uh, you may not realize at all what's happening uh, around you. And so it becomes very critical that it's it's your family members who will rise and fall based upon the planning that, that you've done. Um, and so understanding those differences can be uh, very important. So, for instance, uh, you know, when we talk about a, a power of attorney, um, we're talking about agency, um, but what that means in its most simple form is we're taking the authority, the, the rights that you have, and we're kind of creating a Xerox copy. We're duplicating it. We're not giving up the authority that we have. We're just creating an alternate version and handing that to somebody else so that they can be a partner with you. Um, and that may very well be the scenario, especially with finances, that you may say, I would like for you to go to the bank for me. Mm-hmm. And so you've given them the authority to communicate with the bank on your behalf. Um, but uh, that's very different from if we're forced to go through a guardianship scenario. And more often than not, the reason that we would have to do this is because we do not have a power of attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you do not, if you've already willfully, voluntarily given this Xerox copy to somebody else, we have no choice but to go to the court and say, well, nobody can act on behalf of this person because they're incapacitated. But it's much more dramatic at that point mm-hmm. because we're no longer creating a Xerox copy. We are taking the authority away mm-hmm. from the person who originally had it and now handing it to somebody completely different. Um, what's ironic is that the power of attorney is often the document that we use to designate who your guardian might be. Mm-hmm. So by not having a power of attorney, you not only avoid the potential for having a guardianship, but if you go through a guardianship, you've now missed the opportunity to tell the court who it is you would actually like to see. I think there's a lot of hesitation out there for people to name healthcare agents and power of attorneys because of some myths. Sometimes I like to be a myth buster on this show. And one of the big things that I hear related to fear is, well, I'm not going to name someone my healthcare power of attorney or fi- my financial power of attorney because... I don't want them doing these things for me now. I can handle this now. So people make the assumption that when they name someone, that automatically they're giving up all this control and they no longer have control and that other person can go into their bank accounts and Mm. make healthcare decisions on their behalf when the reality is not true, correct? Uh, Yeah, that's correct. (laughs) And, uh, you know, take those one at a time. Um, You know, the, the healthcare power of attorney is perhaps the most clear on this point. Um, that the documentation doesn't even come into existence in terms of like the authority of the other person to act until you're incapacitated. So, and, and it makes sense, right? If you're going to the doctor, I'm not going to send my wife in my stead and <laughs> have her describe the rash on my arm or right. the problem and pain I'm experiencing in my side. Now, the doctor wants to talk to me directly. Right. And the only reason they would ever need to communicate with somebody else is because somebody uh, is standing in for me, but directing the doctor to my care because I just can't do it at that point. Right. So for healthcare purposes, it's, it's very express. Uh, you, you don't have the ability to act on behalf of someone else unless they just cannot do it. Uh, and and if, if I may, mm-hmm. you, that can go into effect and then come out of effect. So let's call it a hit by the bus. I walk out of the studio and I get hit by a bus. Right. It's three days I'm in a coma. So then my healthcare power of attorney makes decisions for me. Then I come out and I'm able to make decisions again. Does exactly. It, it goes yeah. away. I'm back to being able to make my own decisions. We're right? really hoping that our agent <laughs> makes good decisions right. and that they're put out of a job. Right, um, exactly. uh, so yeah, absolutely. You're correct. Um, so that that's uh, the, the healthcare aspect of it is perhaps the safest of the two for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
you know, talking on financial exploitation, um, that there is a danger with the financial power of attorney um, that if you name an individual, generally speaking, the document is going to be drafted in such a way that it is what we call concurrent authority. They operate at the same time. You've created this Xerox copy, and at the minute that you signed it, you are handing it over to this other person. And more often than not, we're usually talking about a, a spouse context. Uh, and so those people would be able to operate on each other's behalf going forward from that moment. And that does create the, the sense of, of fear of, oh, my gosh, they can go and empty my bank account and right. run to the Caymans. Um, <laughs> but in, in reality, what we have to kind of come back to is that this person that you've named ideally is a person that you trust with a, a high level of trust. Um, and even if they, they don't operate during your lifetime with this authority, you're counting on them to operate on your behalf when you're incapacitated. Right. So you have to ask yourself the question, um, if you don't trust this person enough to act while you are able to look them in the eyes and say, don't do that, right? <laughs> don't buy that car. <laughs> right, don't buy that car, don't empty my bank account, and you think that they might actually go around behind your back and still do that anyway, what hope do you have when you're incapacitated, right? Yeah. So it, it does come down to that question of, who do you trust and why do you trust them? Another thing that I often hear people say, well, my parents are poor. They don't need to do estate planning. Estate planning is only for the rich. Mm, yeah. And again, I, I think that, that word estate kind of makes you think of the Biltmore, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, Downton Abbey and uh, things of that sort, right. A, a person who has uh, even a very small estate, if they haven't taken the intentional decision to direct it, it's possible that that estate can be split in numerous ways. And at that point, what could have been very beneficial to benefit one person specifically winds up benefiting really nobody. You know, you take a couple hundred thousand and divide it 15 ways, it, it may not wind up doing much for anyone. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so you have that opportunity, even with the smallest estate, to do good with it and to simplify it so that it creates the most maximum benefit for someone. Um, and I think that's important to remember that, you know, even small estates, doing it right is going to help your family. It is so key to have that planning in place and to have those discussions early on, because if you don't, uh, you, you tend to be in a confusing and uh, unfortunate world if, if you don't get that taken care of. We've got Adam Hopler here in the studio. He's an attorney with Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah, and we're going to continue our discussion right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. We've got Adam Hopler here in the studio. He is an attorney with Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah. And we're having a discussion about legal documents and selecting the right trusted individuals for your uh, general durable power of attorney and your, uh, your uh, health care power of attorney. These are some very important decisions, Nicole. And, you know, while on that, and you hope you're making the right choice, 
one thing we do need to think about is are the worst case scenarios where maybe you, you made the bad choice. Yeah, well, and then they also just the plain old assumptions when people go into office, they think they need a Happy Meal, but maybe they really need a quarter pounder and fries, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk to us about some of the examples that of, of you know scenarios that you've seen in your office, sort of typical examples that people may be encountering. And then when they meet with somebody like yourself, they realize, oh, wow, I, I really could be doing much more. Sure. Um, and I, I go back to that uh, initial conversation that you have with an attorney and the importance of really opening up and talking frankly about uh, your family. Um, I, I remember um, having a, a clientele. They were in the, uh, shall we say, the, the younger part of their latter half of their life, um, you know, 70s or so, something to that effect. Um, and we were talking about uh, their trust that they had already established and we were updating and we were trying to figure out at what age we would allow their children to be able to take their inheritance outright. We were no longer going to have somebody managing for them. Not before an, 30, I hope. Oh, my gracious. Um, <laughs> Nobody's ready before this 30. This particular couple, um, after we had had some initial conversation, was starting to say, well, you know, I don't, I don't think my children quite have it together yet. I would really like to see that age at about 55 or 60. Oh, my gosh, that's awesome. And at that point, you're saying to yourself, you know, I think they may have missed a boat. Um, and so we start backing up the conversation about why they would have that level of concern at that age. And then that really even calls into question, like, are they really the people that you trust to manage your, your finances in your incapacity or after your passing right. if you don't trust them to manage their own stuff right <laughs> now? Um, and so it, it, it does help to just begin to really flesh out what the family situation, because in that instance, we, you know, we, we took a step back and we started asking, who are the people that I look to? Uh, to help me in managing finances and making good decisions. Who are the ones in the family that I look at and I say, they've got it together. They know what they're doing. I feel like they could handle the little extra that I might have to put on them in mm -hmm. a worst case scenario. Well, and uh, you know, and I think part of what we're seeing nowadays is you know, the, the folks that are encountering long-term care today, mm. uh, they did a pretty good job of saving through the years. And then their children, um, stereotypically speaking, I'm, I'll just throw it in a group, I'm not saying all of them, have not really done the best job. And it's been more of the instant gratification generation where you want what you want and you get it now. So there isn't a lot of money in savings. And so some of the, sometimes what we see is that the children, when they come into contact with trying to arrange for long-term care options for mom or dad, may not always have the best interests in mind because they're worried about preserving the inheritance. And yeah. we do see that. Now, it's not all the time. and It's right. not even most right. of the time. But every once in a while, it's, you know, I want the cheapest option possible because they're looking out for their future. So do you, do you see that sometimes? And how do you work a family around that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely, it comes up. And even if it is not the reality uh, the specter of that idea can linger about, especially when you've got sibling sets. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you've, you've chosen that one mm -hmm. that you want to manage your affairs, and despite their best efforts and attempts, the other siblings, you know, they have harbored feelings, mm -hmm. um, and they'll look at the scenario and they'll levy those kinds of accusations. They'll mm -hmm. say, I don't think they have mom and dad's best interest at heart. I think they're trying to, you know, preserve the estate for their inheritance or something to that effect. Um, even if, again, there's nothing really to support that. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I absolutely, I agree. I think it, it then kind of comes down to this question of beyond the legal, 
what kind of conversations have you actually had with your family members? Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a really hard one because I feel like historically in our profession, we really emphasize confidentiality with our clients Mm -hmm. um, and kind of push to this idea that you almost keep your estate a secret. Mm -hmm. Um, But in reality, uh, it's far more healthy to the extent that you're able to share openly with your family exactly what it is that you're doing and why it is that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, your attorney doesn't need to do that for you. Right. Um, but hopefully you have a level of communication and open with your family that you're able to do that. Because I can't tell you how many times, even after somebody has passed away, a client will come and say, I know the will says this or that, but what mom and dad really wanted was. Right. Because that's what they told them. It's what they expressed to them verbally. Right. And nothing it's just you can do about it. And yeah, and there's nothing you can do about it at that point. Um, but... It holds true that if your if your parents come to you and they tell you I'm putting your sister uh, mm-hmm. in charge for this reason and I doesn't mean anything about how I love you or anything to that effect, it helps to soften the blow later down. It's not unexpected. It becomes part of the plan. Well, and it preserves relationships because Absolutely. there are so many relationships that are destroyed at end of life when families suddenly get blindsided about decisions that they didn't realize their parents made. And then the parents are gone, so they're not there left to deal with trying to put the family back together. And a lot of times families just have a natural end Mm -hmm. because of these things, unfortunately. Right. I'm sure you see it all the time. Yeah, yeah. It it comes up quite a bit. Um, And and it is an unfortunate reality that obviously the the larger the estate, uh, the more prone for people to kind of come out of the woods, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even with the smallest estate, again, what I've described, I'll still see that, um, you know, where siblings will argue with each other uh, because they just don't have a clear expectation. Uh, but when you do have those larger scenarios, uh, you know, timberland and uh, multiple pieces of real property and, uh, you know, large IRAs, uh, you know, this almost invites now the question of your closest friends, and what did they know? Right. And how aware are they of the scenario? Because, again, from the outside looking in, what you just described is exactly what they're going to see, regardless of who you pick. If it's a close, you know, uh, child of yours, mm-hmm. or maybe if you don't have children, uh, a nephew, a mm-hmm. cousin, or something to that effect, and their mind will immediately go to that question of, are they really acting in my friend's best interest? Exactly. And perhaps they want to jump in and help out not understanding that they may actually be complicating the scenario without realizing it. I think a lot of this dysfunction just has to do with deal with this dysfunction of human beings in general right. and that and that we don't want to think about our our end of our lives, right? And nobody mm-hmm. wants to think about what am I going to die from? At what age am I going to die? Am I going to get this chronic illness? Right. And really, how do I want to see my last years? No, we picture it as the golden years. We don't picture it as, you know, 15 years of progressive illness and, and ultimate Absolutely. death. Right. And so and it's very hard for adult children to have these conversations to, with parents. So part of it is, you know, for those listening, if you are in that age bracket of, of, of a parent of adult children, Try to make it a little easier on them and, and really try to talk to them about how do you want to see your last years? You know, are you okay with bringing in 24-hour-a-day care? Is that what you want? Are you okay with moving into a long-term care or assisted living or a nursing home facility? Is that what you want? Look into some of those things because, I mean, I, I do this day in and day out. And with my own father, I often joke, you know, I'll try to bring it up and he'll say, what are you doing, trying to kill me? Dad, where's the box? <laughs> it's in the gray. Everything you need to know is in the gray box. Well, where do you keep the box and the box moves around all the time so I'm just like where's the box so you know I know how difficult these conversations can be 
often a great conversation opener is, you know, if you have a hard time talking to a loved one is used as an experience that you've noticed not too far off. So maybe it was an aunt that recently passed away. Gee, mom, you know, mm-hmm. how everything went with Aunt Susie, you know, what do you think about that? And then kind of use that as a conversation opener with, you know, get mom's perspective so that you get a better sense of how mom would want things to go if it was her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is a, an unfortunate reality that for many people, um, it is a, a death in the family that acts as that initial flag of, oh my gracious, how important is this? Um, you, know, you begin to go through the processes of uh, state administration, uh, wrapping up all of the various affairs that a person had, um, and that can be very uh, time intensive and consuming, and suddenly you begin to think about yourself and those are even closer around you. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. And so I, I think it becomes really important to realize that um, earlier is better. Um, the, and, and even if at the moment it doesn't seem terribly likely, um, it doesn't seem like it might be that big of a deal, just in the process of starting the communication with those around you, I, I think you make it easier the next time around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really, these, uh, these documents we put into place, they ought to be reviewed. They ought to be pulled out, dusted off. Um, you know, we try to contact our clients at three, five-year intervals to just say, hey, um, it's been a while. Why don't we just talk about it real quick? And if there's nothing to do, there's nothing to do. But at least we've refreshed the idea in their mind and provide that opportunity to say, let's have a conversation with my family as well. Yeah, making sure that your documents reflect your current situation is so key. We really want to thank you, Adam Hoppler, for coming in uh, this evening. We appreciate you taking the time and chatting with us. Absolutely. Pleasure. Thank you. Again, Adam Hoppler, attorney with Hoppler Wilms and Hannah. You can find them online at hopplerwilms.com. That's H-O-P-L-E-R-W-I-L-M-S. A quick break and back and more with Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-host, Nicole Claykitt, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Live Care. She is Nicole Claykitt. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us this Saturday evening. And Nicole, we got a little housekeeping that we need to do. And, you know, we haven't talked about Transitions Guiding Lights in a while, and I think that this is... Uh, again, such a tremendous resource available to folks and that, uh, you know, we probably should say something about it every single program, although it it makes it hard because we don't have a whole lot of time. But I I think it is very important to remind everyone just what Guiding Likes is and what it does. Well, thank you, Jason. So we are a nonprofit organization, a charity organization uh, in the state of North Carolina, and we provide to the community at large free information, free referrals, education and support to those who are in a caregiving journey for a loved one. And, you know, one of the things that I think we don't hit on very often is that, you know, what exactly is a caregiver? You know, I always think about, you know, I think it's Jeff Foxworthy, you know, you know you're a redneck if. There <laughs> needs to be, you know, you're a caregiver if. And, you know, it, it's kind of sneaky because a lot of people identify being a family caregiver as actually providing that physical care to a loved one. So that is literally, you know, if I am not dressing my mom, bathing my mom, assisting my mom to the bathroom, feeding my mom, then I'm not a caregiver. But that's actually not true. 
You know, caregiving is really... Um, a whole host of, of different types of tasks that you do with a loved one to include what we often call activities of daily living. That's the bathing and the dressing, the grooming that I just mentioned. But there's also what they call IDALs, which are more of the independent activities of daily living. So those are things like preparing meals, going grocery shopping, writing your bills, being transported to and from work or doctor's appointments, things of that nature. And oftentimes those are the things that start happening in a family situation and that's really caregiving so if you're starting to you know have to you know check in on mom via phone call take mom to doctor's appointments uh, make sure that mom is getting rid of the spoiled food in the refrigerator actually run to the grocery store because she's not driving anymore you're actually really a caregiver it can sneak up on you at times. You may just think, hey, I'm I'm helping out mom a little bit with this. And then suddenly you're kind of in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really and I think men have a harder time identifying as caregivers. And so a, a good friend of mine, you know, he was caregiving for his mom and he was telling me all the things that he was doing for his mom. And you know, she had been in the hospital a whole bunch of times. And, you know, he was, you know, visiting her every single day in the long term care facility she was in and being an advocate for her. And one day I referred to him as a caregiver and he said, well, I'm not a caregiver. And I said, well, frankly, you actually are. And let me explain to you why. So, you know, caregiving even continues on for those, you know, listening. You, know, you may have been providing some of that care for a loved one in their home, and then they transition off into more of a long-term care setting. But you're still really there because I don't care if you're five years old or 50 years old or 100 years old. If you are not receiving care in your own home, or even frankly, if you are, you really need someone there on your bench to be your advocate because there's so much going on and it's so complicated. You really need somebody there to make sure that, you know, they're not amputating your right arm when it really needs to be your left, so to speak. <laughs> so Nicole, give me a quick walkthrough. Um, I, suddenly I find out, oh, I'm, I'm a caregiver now I, uh-huh. I, and I need some help. And I, I, let's say I call guiding lights. What, what happens? What, what should I ask? What, what do I do? Well, first of all, know that there are no stupid questions. There are no wrong That's questions. That's good for me. Well, <laughs> well, but I think sometimes people are embarrassed because the reality of it is people don't know what they don't know. And there is a huge tangled web of resources out there. So what happens is when you call, or you can stop by, but most people call just because they're so busy, um, you will speak to one of our referral specialists. And we actually have two folks in our office that take these calls. And we ask you questions about what's going on in your loved one's life, what's going on in your life, and sort of where all the pressure and pinch points are. And you may call and say, you know, I can't take it anymore. If mom asks me one more time, what time is it? I'm just going to go crazy. And, um, you know, so you just, and and mom needs to be placed. But you may not realize that there are a lot of community-based options out there that may make them be able to stay in their home a little bit safer for longer. So, you know, we take an intake. It's not a big, scary process. But we really try to find out what the situation is. We try to find out also from you what the financial resources are. Now, not that because we're nosy about what your finances are, but we want to know what bucket of money do you have to potentially pay for your loved one's care? Because we don't want to refer you to give you an improper referral to an organization that you can't afford. And so, you know, we want to kind of get a sense of where we are with that. And then what we do is we directly connect you to organizations of excellence. So we have organizations that apply to receive referrals by our organization, and we put them through an interview process, and we make sure 
that we feel confident that if this was our mom or dad, we would feel comfortable making referral to that entity. And so after we talk with you, and if, if an actual resource needs to be referred out to you, then we will get your permission to actually connect you with that organization and hopefully make a match for you so that you can have some relief in that caregiving journey. And you're getting no incentive for these referrals, correct? Absolutely like some of these not. other organizations. Right. So there are some things out there that exist that can kind of get referral fees when they give a referral to an entity, um, which is way too complicated to get into right now. But um, no, so there is no charge for organizations to become vetted by us, and we do not get money back for giving referrals. We really look at the situation, which is why we're a nonprofit 501c3 charity. And so we are funded through grants, through donations, through the fundraising events that we have. And that's really how we keep the wheel turning for our organization. It's a great organization and just a a truly invaluable resource. Guidinglightsnc.org is the website. What's the phone number if folks want to get Sure, it's a 919-371-2062. Excellent. Nicole, we're out of time. We, uh, we're, we've got to get out of here, but we will be back again next Saturday evening at 7. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care, right here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.